morning, everyone. Thank you for being here today. We hope you had a great uh, holiday week, uh, or at least part of it. And um, we are delighted to see you in God's house today. We want to get <coughs> right back into the message on warring with wisdom, part two. We began last week and laid down some explanations and laid down some principles. Um, I want to um, I want to finish this up with an emphasis on doorways uh, of, of demons or doorways to demons, meaning what they see as doorways. Um, I want you to know this is not a science. It's not one plus one equals two every time. Someone asked Jack Deere when he was here a few years ago, um, what was it uh, that could be an explanation for him doing all of these things that we're told not to do and never feeling that he had been demonized before he came to the Lord. And uh, Jack Deere said, well, it's, it's not this always results in this. He said, it's a situation where there are sometimes extenuating circumstances, depending on a level of knowledge you might have of the Lord. He said, or it could be something else. He said, uh, tell me about who prayed for you during that time. And the bottom line of it is they came to the conclusion that this guy, even though he had lived pretty rebellious life, had never come under the, the control of the enemy the way that some have because of a praying mother. There was a mother that interceded for him with such intensity and such fervency that it sort of mitigated the situation. So like I said, it's not a formula that has to work, but um, there is a principle that we talked about last week that says uh, the devil doesn't need an invitation, only an opportunity. And sometimes we give invitations, sometimes we give opportunities. And if we had about 15 or 20 extra minutes today, there are other possibilities, things happen, but we won't, um, we won't have time to do that today. But I want to refocus on Luke chapter 10, verses 17 to 20. Now the 72, now remember, Jesus didn't just have the 12. He had the 12, and then of the 12, he had the three um, but then there were also others like the group of 72 that went out on special missions. The 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I've given you authority to walk on snakes and scorpions and authority over all the power of the enemy and nothing will injure you. And Jesus saying, yes, you've had authority and you've had power and these are the results I expected. Nevertheless, remember this, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Jesus pointed out from the earliest days and the earliest examples that when we start dealing with spiritual authority and power, we need to understand that the conditions are ripe for us to misunderstand and to put the cart before the horse and to emphasize the wrong thing. 
Jesus was saying what we're going to keep emphasizing here. Anointing is not the key, although anointing is very important. Authority is not the key, though we can do nothing unless he gives us authority. Um, Talent is not the key, though talent can make things work more smoothly. The, The, what matters is that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life and that we are walking in his lordship. We need to be called today to remember that. I reminded you of uh, several times through the years about an evening in Fort Worth, January 1988, after an 18-month battle that I did not want to live I'm ashamed to say this, but I had really become convinced that my wife and little boy would be better off with my insurance money than they would with me. That's how twisted my thinking was. Um, I didn't, I wasn't suicidal because I hadn't settled my theology on suicide at the time. I didn't want to jump out of the frying pan into the fire, you know, as the way I was raised, you know. Um, I was raised that suicide was an unpardonable sin. Um, I I don't believe that anymore. I think it's always the worst decision that you can make. But I don't think people go to hell automatically because they commit suicide. Sometimes people are so sick mentally or or otherwise that we we just need to commit them to the Lord. But I know this, I didn't want to live. I didn't want to live. And when I went to the James Robinson Bible Conference, God set me free. It was phenomenal what he did. I went there uh, being warned by my fellow pastors that that was not pure doctrine and it was not a good thing to go to. And um, uh, one even implied that I could be brought up on charges if I went to a conference like that. And... um, I'm sitting there after being confronted with all of this other stuff in the back of my mind, meeting with what I was seeing in front of me, uh, understanding that I was indeed bound. I don't believe I was demon-possessed. I don't believe Christians are demon-possessed. But I do believe that any area of our life that we traffic in darkness, the devil can have influence and it can result in uh, depression, it can result in distraction, it can result in all kinds of things whenever we agree to traffic in darkness. And um, as I was sitting there the first night of the conference trying to decide, you know, what do I do with this? I had, like Colonel Sanders said, I had a confusion of flavors. Um, What I was raised in, what I was being taught uh, presently, what I was hearing, and seeing in the life of Brother James and others. And um, I, 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 I think it was Jack Taylor. Uh, it's either Jack Taylor or, or uh, James Robinson. One of them might have been Dudley Hall. One of those guys that I began to really admire um, said this, this is not the moment to let your doctrine keep you from Jesus. And I'd never heard that before because I believe doctrine always leads you to Jesus. Not if it points you away from Jesus. And um, I I told you about the altar call they gave if you want to be set free. And I I wouldn't answer the altar call because some of my people back home watched James Robinson and, and they would broadcast the services. 
And um, some of them, if they knew I had gone forward to be set free, they would, they would increase their, their efforts to get me thrown out of the church. And I just, I just said, I can't do this. And I was already sitting to the side so I'd be out of camera range. And, uh, you know, it was just a lot. Do you want to be free? Is it important enough for you to be free? And I told you that they, they went past several altar calls before I finally went forward to be set free. I, I think I, I think I, maybe the answer call was so far away from where I was. I think I might've answered a call for bald-headed lesbians that had arthritis in their left knee. I don't remember what it was, but I said, Lord, I've got to be free. And, um, and, and then it didn't matter. God met me with such a powerful way. I woke up in the middle of the night with a freedom I'd never felt in my life. And uh, God did such an incredible thing. But that was after an 18-month battle. Uh, I came home, my wife started crying as I started crying, trying to explain to her what happened. I, I couldn't explain it. She just knew something had changed. It's what I told you about one time. She said, who are you and what have you done with my husband? You know, and, uh, but God, God set me free. And um, I found out that um, it was just the beginning of a journey, just the beginning of a journey. And um, it, you see in your outline there, it was a walk into freedom. Um, I wanna say this, the key to freedom, the key to the kingdom is humility and purity. The, the hindrance to the kingdom is, is fear and arrogance. Fear and arrogance is always beaten by humility and purity. That's why Jesus was able to say, Satan comes and he finds nothing in me. And, uh, you know, we, back in those days, we got really bogged down with, is it possible for a, you know, Christian to be demon possessed? And my view has always been, no, a Christian, a, a true Christian cannot be demon possessed because possessed implies ownership. But I do believe the, the Greek word in the New Testament, in almost all instances, is the word demonized, which means to be influenced or harassed by a demon. And I've pastored people like that all my life. I know what it's like to be a person like that. So we get all, you know, bent out of shape, uh, you know, um, I just don't believe casting a demon out ought to happen to Christians. Well, then don't say cast out. Say cast away. Say cast off. In fact, I think most of our spiritual victories, if we're really disciples, I think most demonic activity in our life is not cast out. I think it's crowded out. As we draw close to the Lord, there's nothing we can do more to fight hell than draw close to the Lord. Uh, I think that people kind of bought into the idea if it's cast out, that means um, then I'm, I'm free. I don't have any responsibility anymore. This thing's gone. And I do believe in casting out. But um, I also realize that anytime we open the door to the enemy, we put ourselves in a very vulnerable position. Now, that was controversial 30 years ago. It's still controversial today. Um, I found out that in my walk in freedom, um, I would have to get past an offended mind. Uh, I will tell you this, it may not be about demons, but almost all of us, if you make progress with God, 
you're going to have to get past the offense of the mind. Christianity's truths may not always make sense to you. You may not believe what is clearly a biblical doctrine because that's not the way you see God. Sooner or later, if you haven't been there, just relax. It'll come sooner or later, probably today. You will have to get past an offense of the mind where Christianity is not what you think it is. Now, I'm not talking about some radical Christianity. I'm just talking about, you know, the cross. I'm talking about the blood of Jesus, the virgin birth, the sinless life, substitutionary death and ascension. All that's basic Christianity, and we don't ever move past that. But sometimes God moves in ways that we don't fully understand or ways that we don't embrace or like. I, now, I came from a church where we always danced in the spirit, but it just had to be spontaneous. It, the, the idea of having dancers or people, you know, bringing flags to, you know, dance before the Lord, that was, that was uh, perverted worship would send you to hell quick as going to a movie, you know. And uh, you just never did that. And I mean, we believed in dancing before the Lord. My mom, dancing before the Lord, backed into an open-faced heater that was scalding hot. And her bare legs, her calves, were against it. And my dad said, I knew she was going to the hospital. She just stayed against that. He said, I think I heard flesh sizzle. But she was in the spirit and she walked away from it. Not even red, not even pink. Um, we saw a man... Uh, I mean, I was there in our church that was worshiping the Lord and he had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He hopped up on the, the back of the pew, not on the seat of the pew, but on the back of the pew, never opening his eyes with his head lifted to heaven and his arms raised. He walked on the back of every pew in the church from front to back and never missed a step and was never, oh, it was an incredible thing. Uh, we, I had no trouble with dancing as long as you didn't practice. <laughs> and James Robinson's daughter, I think her name was Robin, I may be wrong, she, she passed away a few years ago, such a sad story, but she did a beautiful choreographed dance. And I'm, I'm, I'm conflicted because it's so beautiful I'm crying. It makes me love the Lord so much I'm crying. But in my mouth, I'm saying, I rebuke you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. And I felt the Lord question me, and I won't go into all the detail, but he said, what troubles you with this? I said, dancing in the spirit, that you don't rehearse that. And God said, I'll let you live there if you want to. But the first thing you need to do is go home and tell your choir and your soloists to never practice a song again. You don't do any sermon notes. You just preach off the cuff. If the only way the spirit can move is in an unprepared way, I said, we can live there. And I thought, Lord, Correction received, I don't want to live there. There were all kinds of things that were going on. And then already in that day, my world had been messed up. Some guy named Jack Taylor, I knew him from the books he had written, but he preached a message called Dung. D-U-N-G, Dung. And he had, he had these real spiritual points like Dung stinks. Everybody has Dung. If you don't get rid of dung, 
you're going to be in trouble. And I'm saying, what is he doing butchering the word of God? It was, you know, Philippians 3. And at the end of the message, I was broken. And I, I said, Lord, dung, I get it. We're just poo-poo peddlers. That's all we're doing. We are not creating life. We're, we're following the, the, the defecation. And Lord, I don't, I don't have the life that he's talking about having. So I'm all messed up. But I go forward. God does a, a tremendous work of peace. In the altar, the only thing that happened is an incredible sense of peace came. And I realized that for the first time in 18 months, at will... I could take a deep breath. I'm sure I did during those 18 months, but <clears throat> it must have been in my sleep. It must, I don't ever remember for 18 months being able to just breathe deeply and relax. And when I breathed in, it was like I breathed in life. And when I breathed out, it was like I breathed out death. And every night for a year, something had woken me up at three o'clock in the morning and had tormented me and told me horrible things. At, at three o'clock, straight up and down three o'clock, uh, I would have a visitation by a demon and, and it was just tormenting me with what ifs and what he was going to do. That was my first night after deliverance. You know, it happened that night at three in the morning, I wake up again. But instead of being tormented, I am speaking in tongues and it's like trash is flowing out of me. I've spoken in tongues since I was a little boy, but this time it was a flow that, that was too, it, it, to call it words, to, to define it with syllables is not enough. It was a flow of release and a flow of a dynamic just pouring out of me. I stood up on the bed and I'm no dancer but I, I think in honor to me criticizing the dancers, I stood up in the bed and I started dancing. And you got to understand when I dance, it reminds you of the old Cosby show. That's the way I did. But God hasn't done it since, but he gave me a gracious dance before him. And I plopped down on the bed and I said, I am free. I am free. I am free. But I had to get past my offended mind. You know, when I came home, I found out that I also offended my friends. I, I, I know I've got to be forgetting somebody, but nobody that was an authoritative voice in my life, um, uh, I, I, except for my wife and my mother and, and my pastor. I, I, for, I forgot to mention him first service. My pastor, nobody... Nobody believed what happened to me was real that I can recall. Now, many came to believe. My best friend didn't believe me. He didn't believe it was real. Everybody said, no, the flesh is just so rotten that when the flesh is brought under subjection, it stinks so bad you think it's a demon. But I tell you what else I found out. You can't disciple a demon and you can't cast out the flesh. It does not work that way. And I knew something had been broken in my life, but I had offended friends. I had offended my own mind. I, I had a new journey that I, I, I realized. And I told Ramona, I said, I'm willing. You see, I started not getting invited to committees that I was a part of. 
we forgot to contact you. We forgot to tell you about me. I found out that every committee every, that I was a part of, I found out suddenly everybody forgot me. And they didn't tell me I was off the committees. They just didn't tell me when the committees were meeting. And I realized, I told Ramona, I said, we're going to have to walk this thing out, just me and you. I don't know where it's going to take us. I don't know what's going to happen. But there was a new journey which was necessary for me to continue in my freedom. And there was a new understanding. I had to be more and more devoted to the scriptures. Now, I want to talk to you about these eight things that we want to be sure we do not put in our lives. Loved ones, please hear me. This is, this is a difficult sermon for me to preach. I'm, 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 I'm not having difficulty agreeing to do it. It's just, I don't know of a sermon I've ever preached in all my life that will be more easily misunderstood than this one. And it's going out live stream. And I, I realize that this is an exceedingly difficult thing for me to do. Um, I want to talk to you about these eight things to avoid, but I also want to tell you, like I said earlier, it's not automatic. Just because you've done some of these things doesn't mean you're demonized. But I'm saying that it's opening the door. Doesn't have to be an invitation, just an opportunity. Before I do that, I want to try to use my time wisely. I wish I had a Sunday if I did, we'd have people from outside saying, oh, they don't preach the word of God there. They just talk about dreams. But I wish I had a Sunday. I could just talk about two or three dreams the whole time. And um, uh, I may do that in some non-live stream format because there are some things. God, God uses dreams. God uses visions to clarify something in our lives, not to replace scripture. But I want to just tell you briefly about... Uh, about two dreams. Um, one dream was way back when I was, uh, when, when we didn't even have this building, this was a pond and we were in what's Brown Chapel. And in this dream, um, the, the angel of the Lord spoke to me in the dream and said, I want to show you what's coming to the church um, and you need to pray. And the whole church was there, and the church was divided into three groups. And the first group was, I'd say, probably 70% of the congregation, uh, kind of like sitting here in the middle. And there was another group, um, and I've, I've just got to open my heart to you, that was almost exclusively African-American that, that had left the church and was over here. And then there was a third group over here that were uh, conservative, white Republicans who said, you are not leading the church right. You keep talking when you ought to shut up and have an altar call. Glenn, or I don't remember if it was Glenn or, or Marcus back in those days. The, the choir needs to be quiet and let the Holy Ghost move. You are quenching the spirit. You're not allowing the gifts of the spirit. God wants everybody healed. God wants this done and that done. And you are the reason it's not happening. And I, now this, this group's quiet first. You, not, not you guys, I'm kidding. But uh, you say, why would you say white conservative? Because that's what Somebody wrote a letter to me one time and said, it's, it's just obvious. My pastor is just a white Republican. And 
you know, it was kind of hurtful. I don't know if they meant it to be hurtful, but they were fussing about it. But, you know, I thought, I wrote back and I said, well, it is true I'm a Republican, but I've never let party politics enter this pulpit. I've never let that happen. And I'm not doing that now. And as for the white, I don't think there's anything I can do about it. You know, I'm, I'm just white. And I, I yeah, I'm, I'm a white Republican, but I'm not a Republican preacher. I'm a preacher of the gospel. And I've been just as disappointed in Republicans as I have Democrats in recent years. So um, there was no validity in that. And in fact, just a few days ago, I spent a little time. It was a daddy-son getaway. And this was the first one with daddy, son, and grandsons. And I was with uh, my boys, my grandsons. We were changing to go into the pool. And my beautiful little Puerto Rican brown grandson, when I was changing, he kind of looked at me and he said, Papa, why are you two colors? <laughs> I said, what, baby? He said, you're two colors. He said, your face and your arms, your neck, you're kind of brown. He said, your legs are a different color. I'd, I'd show you how white my legs are, but I don't want any woman to stumble in church because of me. See, my legs are not white. My legs are transparent. And he came over and he, he rubbed my thigh and he rubbed my arm and he said, they feel the same. And I tried to explain to him, he said, Papa just doesn't wear short pants anymore. I haven't, haven't in years. And uh, I just don't get enough sun. And he, like I said, is Puerto Rican. He doesn't need to get sun to be dark. I don't know if I ever explained it to him. I said, but I promise you I'm okay. And you say, did you satisfy him? He said, let me look at your belly. <laughs> he said, yeah, that's a different color too. <laughs> Loved ones, I've got to talk white, black, and transparent today. I, uh, I had this dream, and the person that was representing the African-American community in our church, they're not a part of our church, but they were representing them in our church. And I said, he was calling me a racist. He said, this is just a racist church, and went on and on and on. And all the things that he said were utterly ridiculous. Um, they weren't just philosophical things. They were accusations of things that didn't, had not happened or been said. I said, that's not what we do. We do this, 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 and this. And he said, that's not enough. And he led a significant part of the church away. And then I'm like, ah, oh, this is what God tells me is coming. And then I go over, I'm trying to just get to a seat so I can compose myself to preach. And then the whites, some of them probably were transparents too. So I, I, it was almost all white. And they came up to me pointing their finger. You are not leading us right. You are quenching the spirit. The Holy Spirit is grieved. You mess up worship every week. You mess up the sermon every week. This church is not 
pleasing to God. It's a church that quenches the spirit. It's a church that grieves the spirit and it's all your fault. The sheep are starving because of you. And boy, I tell you, if you want to make me mad, you tell me I'm mistreating my sheep. And in that dream, I got my finger. It was, I think it was about that long. And I started to lay into this person. Um, I was like my dad. He said, he told somebody he was going to cut him one time. He said, I'm going to cut you three ways, deep, wide, and often. <laughs> and I started to open my mouth. And it, the Lord didn't put his hand over my mouth, but he might as well have. He said, neither of these groups understand that the wrath of man can never work the righteousness of God. And if you say what you're about to say, you're going to solidify where they are and what they've done. Withdraw the finger, just as he said to Isaiah in the prophet's book. He said, withdraw the finger and practice opposite behavior. You cannot speak to this group whatsoever. And then there were some other things that I don't need to go into, but the Lord said, this is what's coming and you need to pray. And this was years ago, it was before we ever got into this building. And I, I, I prayed and I kept waiting, I kept looking and we seemed to have no problems with race. We seemed to have no problems with the move of the spirit. People seem to be happy. Oh, there's people that have left over one thing. That happens all the time in every church. But I thought, I remember thinking, we've gotten past this. We prayed and it didn't happen. I knew it was coming, but I prayed and I thought it didn't happen. And um, then I had another dream. I'm coming back to that. Justin, don't let me forget to come back to, to that. Um, I had another dream. I, I, I gave you a shortened version of it if you... Uh, remember when we were doing the prophetic newsletter a few years ago, I gave a shortened edition of this. I was driving along doing the work of the church and the Lord said in, in the dream, the Lord said, turn in here. And I turned in and there was a little historical marker like you see on the highway sometimes. And it was a, an a, a originally outfitted furnished colonial house from the days when America became a nation. And so I pulled in and I saw the house and I went in and it, was, it looked like something out of a George Washington movie. It was beautiful, but when I walked in the main foyer and into the main room, I don't know why I knew this. I'd, I'd, the only thing I know about wallpaper is that it goes on a wall. And, but I walked in and there were two or three church people with me. And I think my wife was with me and I said, this wallpaper is not original. This wallpaper does not belong in a colonial house. And there were two or three other things. I said to the tour guide, I said, these things, and this isn't the way I would be on a tour. I said, these things are not original. These, these are from a different era. And, and uh, I said, even those pictures, those pictures are from a different era. And I pointed to a man. I said, he's from an era a hundred years later. And um, I said, this isn't original. And the um, tour guide kind of smirked and then ran out of the room. And there started a flying of things around the room, lifted off the shelves like something out of a 
Stephen King movie. And they were, they were coming at us, trying to hit us. The wallpaper peeled off. The pictures, they looked at me and scowled in anger. And, and the Lord spoke to me and said, these pictures, and uh, well, he said something about wallpaper. I don't have time. That's, that's because you were always in such a hurry. But he said, uh, these pictures are from the time when America changed gods. And it was from the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. And I, I believe, America's never been perfect, but I believe America shifted to the God of Mammon in the Industrial Age. In the Industrial Revolution, it all became about making money. He said, this is where America changed gods. And the wallpaper came off the wall and formed itself into things that were slapping at me. And it was hurting. And I, I said, Lord, what do I do? What do I, help us. Uh, this is clearly demonic. And the house is being shredded. And everything that was not original is turned into a weapon. And as I went out, the Lord had said, this, this is from when America changed her gods. And he said, this is not what America was. What America was has been lost and what America was has been misrepresented. And I know we all know there are things that America did wrong. That's, that's hardly an issue. We know that. But he said this, he said, you are about to face a time in the church when there will be an uh, exposing of lies and the lies will be exposed and the response to the lies and the response to you wanting to rebuild the house will become so violent that it'll make you want to quit. It'll make you want to run and people will live in fear, and people will say there's no use trying anymore. And the, the, there's a good ending to the dream. I'm going to tell you, God makes it right. But there was um, another house had to be built, and there was an abundance of lies and persecution and city and town councils coming against the church and government coming against the church. And I, I said, Lord, I, I think I understand, but what do we do? And all he said to me was keep building this other house. We were building another house on the same principles as the first house. Now, I didn't understand that, what that would look like. I, going back to the other dream, the man that went with this group looked at me and said, that's not enough. It'll never be enough. And he walked away and I realized I lost that group. And then the other group, when I said, we're always open to the Lord, we're not perfect, we're trying to do these things. That's not enough. It's never enough. You're not doing it right. And I found out, uh, you know, I, it, it never happened. I said, well, that's, oh, thank God. Maybe we prayed it away. And then the unexpected happened. You know it as 2020. 2020 was a year of such venom, a year of such hostility. And I'm not trying to say who's right, who's wrong. I'm not trying to say this shouldn't have happened or that shouldn't have happened. 
I'm saying this, like the groups in my dream, I was learning that the people of God will have a golden opportunity for revival and to make things right if they can remember that the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. But can I tell you, the church has not learned that. I think our church has learned it better than most. But I think even in our church, we're in danger of fumbling the ball. We keep praying for revival. We keep talking about revival. And loved ones, we have not learned what we need to learn. I prayed for years. I told a handful of people this. I told a group of pastors I was teaching one time. I said, I have the advantage and the honor of pastoring a multiracial church. And I see what I don't think any of you see because none of them did. I said, I do believe revival is coming. And I said, I believe what I have sensed in my spirit is that one of the keys for the greatest revival that America has ever seen is in the hands of African-American Christians. The, great, the next great revival will be led by African-American Christians. And uh, they didn't have a clue what I was talking about. And I said, because I believe if the African-American community can allow God to give them the grace to forgive those that have oppressed them, to forgive those that have done them wrong. I don't know. Oh man, we've got the Japanese internment camps of World War II. We've got the violation and the breaking of every uh, Native American treaty we ever made. Oh, white America has done some abominable things. And even when the law changed, uh, the, the, the Southern Democrats instituted Jim Crow laws so that even a free man, though he was free, would never be truly free. I want to tell you, if there's anybody that has a right to be hurt, right to carry a chip, it's African-Americans and African-American Christians. And God showed me in a couple of dreams back years ago that he, he will pour out his grace upon the African-American community, especially the youth. He will pour out his grace upon the African-American community and he will give them the ability to forgive the oppressors. But I tell you what the African-American church in general has done. They have chosen retribution, revenge, anger, counter racism. And I'm not worried about that in the world. Man, there, there's all kinds of garbage in the world. But I want to tell you the Christians that are African-Americans, I would say a majority. I don't know what number it would be, but I have to deal with this all the time in our church. I have to deal with it um, when I try to go to an uh, interdenominational pastor's meeting. We've been done wrong. You've done us wrong. And we are going to have things set right. Now, loved ones, don't misunderstand me to my, to my uh, minority brothers and sisters Things need to be set right. There are things that need to be undone. That's not the issue. Do not send me a letter arguing with me about 
how blacks have been treated. I'm agreeing with you. But I want to tell you, I got such stuff in 2020. I, I, you say you didn't say anything about it. and No, not in any kind of detail because I knew that it was the work I had to forgive. But I, I am appalled at the names we called each other in 2020 in this church. I'm appalled at the names denominational leaders called other groups. And I, I want to tell you, the enemy has said, I'm going to split the church and I'm going to get them distracted. And he has distracted black American Christians with the idea of I've got to have this fixed on my terms in abundance and it needs to be fixed. But the wrath of man doesn't work the righteousness of God. You say, well, you, that, whoever wrote you that letter was right. You're just a white Republican. Well, let me look at you people for a minute here. You're, you're my symbolic. There is a toxicity in the church that is just as poison, maybe more so than the struggles that African-American Christians have. See, I couldn't preach like this because for three years it's been, you, a white man can't say this. A white man can't say this. A white man can't say this. Well, let me show you something, baby. <laughs> This ain't a white man talking. This is a transparent man talking. Sorry for any lust I may have caused. But loved ones, I realize that God has put me at this church and this church has a destiny. And I will never reach our destiny if you don't break free from your bondage. You say, well, okay, you're picking on the blacks. Well, let me go ahead to the white conservatives. You, by and large, by and large, have bowed at the idol that says everything will be right if we can just get the right man in the White House. I've seen people that will never put, I've never seen a Jesus sticker on their car, but they'll have Trump stickers. And loved ones, I want to tell you, there's nothing wrong with political views. I have political views. I think elections have consequences. I think if we elect some type of people, we're going down. I think if we elect other type of people, I hope we'll go up, but maybe we'll at least delay the inevitable. I, I'm, I'm not preaching to the world. I'm preaching to the church. We hosted an event at our church. It, it wasn't our church back before the election. And I was one of the speakers, but almost everybody, not everybody, I, sh I should say not everybody, was saying, it's time for the church to rise up. Trump's going to be reelected. And Trump is Osiris. And Trump is da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And they said, we, we've got to pray for Trump to be elected. And I, thus saith the Lord, he will serve a second term. And then after the election didn't go that way, some said, well, um, that's not what, the, you know, he, he'll serve another four years later. And so that'll be, I, and I said, that's not what you said. I said, that's not what you said. And I got called before I could get out of the building. I got called everything but a child of God. 
I, I had two predictions of death. I had two people say, you'll see the Lord come through. I guarantee Trump will be elected. But like the man in the Old Testament, that when uh, the city was under siege, the prophet said, it'll be over tomorrow and you'll see it, but you won't partake of it. And the man was trampled in a, in a stampede. Man, I came, I said, I'm not sure that Trump is going to be elected. Okay, now I'm being very transparent. I had hoped Trump would be reelected, not because I think he's perfect, but because I have concerns with the other party's agenda. I think we've got to take abortion very seriously. I, I, I think there's a lot of things we've got to take seriously. And this is what American Christians are not doing. They are not doing this. They are opting for this idol in their party. The Republicans are opting for that idol in their party. And loved ones, I want to tell you, America is in the mess she's in today not because of what's going on in Washington, but because of what's going on in the church. The church has bowed down before false idols. You, you may be a Biden fan. It's fine. You can be a Christian and be a Biden fan. You may be a Trump fan. Fine, you can be a Trump fan and be a Christian. That, that's not what this is about. But I tell you what we saw in 2020 and it was reflected in the ministry of the prophets. It was reflected in when the church sounds the wrong signal, it opens the door for the judgment of God. You know, people say, oh, pastor, I think it's getting better. I think, I think the judgment's lifting. No, no, no. The, the God's, God has never come down with full force on America. God's hand is over America in judgment and we are experiencing judgment and it's going to get worse. You say, well, why? Do, oh, God's just merciful. He doesn't want to hurt us. God can't do what he wants to do for the nation until he does what he needs to do for the church. And I guarantee you in 2024, we're going to dip right back to our idols. We're going to hate each other again. We're going to play the victim card again. We're going to play the superior Christian card again. You say, well, Pastor, I, just, I resent that. I know. In 2020, it was the only time in my life that for several weeks I asked God, let me leave the ministry. Because of the absolute Oh, well, it's a Greek word, krapozai, that, was, that I was getting from my own church members. I was called a racist. I was called, I, I, I told Justin one time, I said, you know, you've got to be a pretty gifted fella if you can be called an in-lover and a racist the same day over the same thing that you said. I mean, I... And, and the, the sources of it, and I'm, I said, I'm not, I'm not going to do this. I, I, I don't even think I have the church anymore. I'm going to leave. And I want to credit my wife for talking sense to me. She didn't say, oh, you know, that's just the devil. Boy, I get mad when she says that because she's usually right, you know. 
you know, I told you one time, she said, oh, you, you, not, you told me when we got married, you'd never let the devil run you off from a church. I said, yes, but that doesn't mean I will stay and pastor him either, you know. <laughs> she said, honey, I don't know what to say. She said, I'm so hurt. This hurts me. I know the things that are being said is not fair. But you know this is not true, and you know that the majority of the church is with you. And, and you're here. You are. And I, and I know that. I'm not fussing at you. Please believe me, I'm not fussing at you. But I'm saying that God has been doing deep surgery in me and in pastors and in denominations. And the church must line up with the wisdom of God. It's okay to support whoever you want in your politics, but stop the venom Stop the toxicity. Stop the name calling. And, and loved ones, right now, we are, we are at a critical juncture. And I'm saying this, over the next 18 months, the church in America will decide if judgment descends more fully. And I'm not talking about an election. I'm talking about how we handle the election. I'm talking about how we treat each other. I'm talking about how we treat the world. If God can refine and purify the church, then he has something to work with for the nation. When God began to speak to me first about the church being the one under judgment, because judgment begins at the house of God. I was in a business meeting, not, a, not our church, not, not, not here, not you. But we were voting on something that was very important. I mean, if we voted this way or we voted that way, it meant we would go this way or we'd go that way. And it was, a, it was a divided house. And we had dozens of ballots, dozens of ballots. Are we going to do this? Are we going to do that? And no ballot resolved anything. And one of the godliest men I've ever known, one of the wisest, most biblically literate men I've ever known in my life, one of the greatest peacemakers, stood up and said in that business meeting, you're saying, Pastor, you shouldn't say this. Well, I'm not using any names, but I need to say this. He said, we are at an impossible point dozens, not a dozen, dozens of votes could not give us a resolution. He said, we all want the will of God and God has an answer. And I'm not trying to judge people's hearts and I realize there are things I don't know, but he said, brothers, I propose we take 10 minutes, 10 minutes to pray and just ask God, to give us wisdom to know what to do and this thing will be solved when we get the mind of God. I would like to propose that we pray for 10 minutes and a significant number of the members at that business meeting said, no, vote, vote. 
and something died in my heart, I began to realize if this is what our churches are doing, if this is what our pastors are doing, if this is what denominations are doing, the church has got hell to pay for the way that we live. We have taken the methods and the madness of men and said it's the will of God. Christian life will meet her destiny and success under Pastor Corey, or she will flounder and fail under Pastor Corey. And it's going to depend on what you do. It's going to depend on what I do. We're not going to follow the ways of denominations that have compromised the word of God. We're not going to follow the way of churches that hate transsexuals and, and the, the, the gay and lesbian community. I can never get the letters right. Um, I, tried, I tried to remember the letters in a thing I was teaching and somebody came up to me and said, I know what you meant, but I think you just condemned the United Electrical Workers of America. <laughs> I'm not making fun of anybody except me. I just, I couldn't get my letters right. Loved ones, we're going to believe the word. We're going to hold to God's standard. We're going to stand for what's true and we're going to stand for what's right. But we're going to love the world. And if I, if I have to spank you, we're going to love each other. What opens the door for the enemy? You say, but pastor, we got to stand up for what's right. Well, in my dream, when I, when I was loaded with right, the Lord said, be quiet. This will not be resolved by you arguing. Just lead. Just lead. Number one, Oh, we got to hurry. Oh, good grief. What'd y'all do? <laughs> Number one is anger and unforgiveness. That is, I don't know if you know this, but the world says the church is full of anger, unforgiveness, and judgmentalism. What they don't understand is that the church seems that way because we're full of anger and unforgiveness and judgmentalism. Be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Second Corinthians, be careful the way you behave so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan for we are not ignorant of his schemes. Anger and forgiveness. It has no place in the kingdom. It does not represent the kingdom well. You need to forgive white people. You need to forgive black people. You need to forgive your wife, your husband. You need to forgive the Democrats. You need to forgive the Republicans. And you've got to understand God calls us to something phenomenal. When, when Rome was ruling with a heavy hand, 
Paul spoke of the man that would ultimately take his head and he said, honor the king and pray for those that have authority over you. You said, I've been praying. No, you've been praying about. You haven't been praying for. Some of you have. <clears throat> Number two, sexual sin and perversion, uncontrolled lust. There was a situation in Corinth where a man was in an uh, incestuous relationship with his mother or stepmother. We can't tell from the context which it was. I think it probably was his mother. We, we try to make a case for stepmother because the other's unthinkable to us, you know. But Paul said, there's two things wrong here. Is this man's reaction to the sin. And he said, the other thing that's wrong is your reaction to the sin. And Paul deals with it in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And can I tell you, he uses many more words to deal with the church's sin than he does the man's sin. He said, you're puffed up over this. He said, he needs to be dealt with. I'm going to turn him over to Satan, even if it kills him, so maybe his spirit can be saved. That, you talk about tough love. He said, but you are puffed up. You're taking pride in what you are allowing and then in the second book, he said, all right, you finally got rid of that attitude, but you've taken another one. You've got him down, you got your foot on his neck, and you won't let him up. He said, give him room to breathe so he can repent. When I first came here, God said, your legacy at this church will be balance, and it will be so difficult. And I didn't understand. I thought you guys had problems, but it wasn't you. And I, I went for years not understanding what the legacy of balance was about because I think I have the greatest congregation in the world and I do. I have the greatest congregation in the world. But what God was talking about is that we were coming up on a time when balance is almost impossible to achieve. We're in a time in America right now where hate and violence trumps peace and balance, hands down. And I tell you what is a high value commodity in the kingdom of God today is a church that can walk in balance. But I want to tell you, pornography will do it to you. Perversion will do it to you. Uncontrolled lust will do it to you. Sexual sin is still one of the greatest attacks on your selfhood and on the idea of family. That's why the enemy attacks our sexual identity. It's because God, some of his greatest purpose in creation was making us male and female. Now, I also believe we will be persecuted over this before this is over. <clears throat> Number three, hatred and violence. When James and John were on the receiving end of some insults and they, there were a group of people that did not want to follow Jesus. They said, Lord, hey, we've got the anointing. Do you want us to call down fire from heaven on these people and burn them up? And Jesus looked at him. He didn't say, oh, guys, you got a tender spot. Oh, you, you, you're carrying a little baggage. Don't he said, you don't understand what spirit is operating in you right now. This is not 
a call for justice. This is, not, this is a call for vengeance. This is not a call to set things right. This is a call to wipe out those that have offended you. Jesus said, I've seen that before and it's always driven by spirits and you're operating under that spirit right now. Number four, envy, jealousy, narcissism. He says in James 3 that there is wisdom that we embrace, calling it wisdom, but it's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's demonic. He said, and where you find this wisdom operating, you find disorder and every evil practice. Saul gave in to the narcissism. Saul gave in to the jealousy. Saul gave in to the envy. And it says, the Bible basically says, Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. And from that day on, we see Saul going more and more mad more and more demonized because of his envy, jealousy, and narcissism. And I'm not talking down to you, but narcissism means just you're all just interested about you, not anyone else. Number five is occult practices. He said in Leviticus, if you get into the occult, it will defile you. He said in Deuteronomy, understand if you want to get into the occult that that's the same sins I drove the nations out for before you. He says, be blameless before your God. And I want to tell you something about demons. Demons know more scripture than you do. That's why John Owen, I think it was, said, never believe the devil even when he tells the truth. Never believe the devil even when he tells the truth. This demon-possessed girl said, listen to these people, Paul and his party, because they are servants of the Most High God that have come to show you the way to salvation most of us would have liked to call a reporter and say, could you do a story on this? Demonized girl admits that we're, you know, God's answer for the problems of the city. No, he cast the devil out of her because Saul or, or Paul understood very well that the enemy will cite the truth. The enemy will endorse you to a point as long as he can pollute what you're doing. Number six, idolatry or greed. Uh, loved ones, I don't, I, I don't need to say much about greed. We know what greed is. But Paul said, understand this. And, and John the Revelator said it. He said, understand this. Greed is not just being a good businessman. Greed is not what the Fortune 500 people have, that wonderful characteristic. He said, it is idolatry. It is idolatry. Number seven is blasphemy. Uh, we need to understand whenever we say foolish things, whenever we say counterproductive things, whenever we dishonor the name of the Lord, we need to understand that we are inviting the enemy to come. Number eight, the last one, is sorcery. Um, Revelation 9, Revelation 18 says that in the last days the condemnation of the world will be because people were involved in sorcery um, uh, and they would not repent of their sorceries, John would say. And I wanna, I wanna go this step further. We, we don't know this for sure, but the longer I live, the more I believe it. 
Um, many scholars include the usage of certain hallucinogens or illegal drugs as a doorway for demons on the basis of these scriptures because the word when it's trans, uh, that's translated into English as sorceries, it comes, uh, it, it sounds very familiar. It's pharmakia. It sounds like pharmacy which in a pharmacy is just a place where drugs are dispensed. Hopefully none, you know, illegal. But the idea that scholars are proposing is that sorcery also involves any mind-altering drugs. We, and I believe it for two reasons. So many of the fortune-telling and sorcery of the past, like the Oracle of Delphi and others, involved hallucinogens. And also after nearly 50 years of pastoring, 45, 50 years of pastoring, I have found few things that can connect someone to demonic activity more than drugs. Now, we'll talk a little later about living free, about recognizing the doorways, repenting, turn away from these practices, about renouncing hell, formally turn away from any agreement with hell. Reject and rebuke any work of Satan in your life and home and resist. Keep on walking in freedom. Loved ones, I'm going to talk more about this later, but we need to understand there is a noticeable, I've lived long enough to say, there is a noticeable, palpable uptick in the spirit of Antichrist in everything from television to commercials to books to attitudes, to politics, to preaching. So what do we do? Number one, stay full of the Holy Spirit. Stay full of the Holy Spirit. Number two, stay smart by following the wisdom and ways of the Spirit. And then here's the last Christian life lesson. Stay out of the bog. Stay out of the bog. Stop. I, 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 the early signs of someone that's heading into a bog is when they pay more attention to what they've got a right to do instead of making a good decision. See, Paul put it this way. He said, you can eat meat offered to idols because the word of God is sanctified by prayer. He said, you can do this, but he says, don't stop by saying I have this right he said, understand there are ramifications of you doing that. And not only are you free, Paul would say my words, not only are you free to eat meat offered to idols, you need to understand that in a very real sense, idols, uh, that food is offered to idols and idols are demons. So you need to understand the view of other people. He said, you are free to eat the meat, but I want you to know you are also free to not eat. And I've seen this through the years. The more we try to get loose, the more we try to get out of the constraints of what grandma taught us and take great pride. This is not your grandmother's church. Oh, I wish it was. In so many ways, I wish it was. I said that to somebody the other day and Jackson was in the room. He wasn't, I didn't think he was listening. He said, this this is my grandmother's church. <laughs> and I thought, he doesn't understand. Let me put it to you this way, love. Let's come on up, Justin. If it doesn't liberate, separate. 
If it doesn't draw you closer to the Lord, let it go. Let it go. We were watching something on TV and it just, I, I, I like the storyline, but the language just got bad. And then they used the Lord's name in vain. And I just said, uh, I think I'm going to just turn this one off. And you know how sometimes you'll, you'll try to give it a chance. You try to, and sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. But I said, uh, you know, I don't think I'm going to finish this. And Ramona said, that's good. He said, because I was just sitting here and the thought came to me, I don't want you to allow anything that would make God uncomfortable and unable to speak to you. I said, so you're acknowledging God speaks to me. (laughs) No, I didn't do that. But I thought I could have played it. Loved ones, I did it again. One thing about me, I am very consistent. And the good thing about the day when Corey will be sitting up here all the time is he's as long-winded as I am. So there'll be very little change you have to adjust to. Loved ones, we want to have a prayer tunnel. We want to pray for whatever has you bound to be broken. And, and some of you, may, what, what you're dealing with may not have anything to do with being bound. But God can set free. God can bless. God can do whatever. Justin's going to give you instructions. And uh, Pastor Corey, I know I'm throwing you a curve here. But my voice is about gone from this morning. And if you don't mind coming and leading in prayer like I did first service, if you don't mind coming on up here. I love you so much. And loved ones, if I said something poorly, understand it was a mistake of the head, not the heart. I love you. I believe in you. And I love you so much that I'd rather have you upset with me today than to avoid offense and your life be squandered over stuff that doesn't matter. Remember I told you my... My son got mad with me when I wouldn't let him put the keys in the socket. He was a little toddler. He got mad with me, told me he was going to run away, fall in the the gully, and I'd have no son. His goal was to make me change my mind. But you know what? I loved and loved Jeremy so much, I'm willing to have him mad at me for a little while if it means that he can be spared. And loved ones, I know I've offended some of you, but I'm willing to have you offended with me for us to get on the right track. I love you.